Language and Power podcast, episode four. In this podcast series, we look closely at the language being used in and around COP26. According to the official website, the COP26 summit will bring parties together to accelerate action towards the goals of the Paris Agreement and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Important stuff. Language is crucial to understanding the climate crisis problem, to formulating solutions, negotiating political and economic pitfalls. It's crucial to communicating science findings and recognising the social, political and economic conditions which have brought us to crisis point. Language is interaction that can accelerate action, but language is also performance and performances can be used to distract from inaction, to avoid action or postpone it. And language is what we focus on in this podcast series. Hello, I am Michael Farrelly. I teach English language at the University of Hull and I research and write on issues of discourse, politics, policy and sustainability. And I am joined, as always, by Tom Bartlett. Hi, Tom. Hi there, Michael. Yes, I'm Tom Bartlett from the University of Glasgow and I I teach language and linguistics, applied linguistics. And one of my main areas of concern is the way that different people speak about the environment and how they can speak to each other, not necessarily in the same terms, but in a variety of different ways and how we can use these multiple voices, uh, how we can understand each other and, and use all these different ways of speaking together. And uh, that's one of the things we'll be organising a conference on that in Glasgow in a couple of years on how different people speak about the environment within their discipline or their areas of work, but also how they communicate about the environment to each other and pass on successful messages to each other. And that's one of the areas that I've found interesting in today's uh, focus, which is on a, a presentation by Chai Surui, who is an Indigenous Amazonian who was speaking at the COP26 conference and we're going to look at her presentation today. And I think two points that we've been talking about, that I think come out really strongly here are her particular way of speaking, her particular presentation, how it's very different from other people and who that might appeal to or not. But also uh, how we need these different voices to, as Michael said the other day, the more voices we hear, the more we might have original answers to the problems rather than being entrenched, yeah. but also the different positions that people have and the different audiences they appeal to gives us a wider constituency rather than seeing it as a zero-sum game. So that's what we're going to focus on today. My name is Chai Surui. I'm only 24, but my people have been living in the Amazon forest at least 6,000 years. My father, the great chief Almis Rui, taught me that we must listen to the stars, the moon, the wind, the animals, and the trees. Today, the climate is warming, the animals are disappearing, the rivers are dying, and our plants don't flower like they did before. The earth is speaking. She tells us that we have no more time. A friend asked me, will we continue to think that today's injuries can be resolved with ointments and painkillers, even though we know that tomorrow our wounds will only run deeper? We need a different path and with bold and global changes. It's not 2030 or 2050, it's now. While you are closing your eyes, 
to reality. The land defender, my friend, since I was a kid, was murdered for protecting the forest. Indigenous peoples are in the front line of the climate emergence, and we must be at the center of the decisions happening here. We have ideas to postpone the end of the world. Let us stop emptying lies and fake promises. Let us end the pollution of hollow words and let us fight for a livable future and present. It's always necessary to believe the dream is possible. May our utopia be a future on earth. Thank you. So I think that's a really interesting speech. It's possibly quite difficult to understand on the audio. Shirley herself admits that she's not a fluent English speaker and it's probably her third language at least. So we'll, we'll give a link so that people can follow that because there are subtitles that come up on, mm -hmm. on, on the website and it's well worth listening to it again and seeing the subtitles. But I think one of the things that really struck me right from the beginning is we've got different scales of interaction going on in here. And this is sort of a notion that's coming to linguistics from human geography, the idea that things operate at different scales in terms of the time frames they operate mm. over, but also the geographical frames they operate over. And it's the same for discourses. Not all ways of speaking, not all ways of talking about things are valid for the same time period and not all valid for the same space. And straight away, uh, Tracia Dewey introduces herself in such a way that she talks about her young age, yeah. which for, for many societies would mean she doesn't carry authority. But she says she comes from this, this, this long line, this, this ancient tribe and the ancient people and a long line of people. So she's got this, this scale of interest that is very long in time, this, you know, this, this uh, deep scale in terms of time, even though it only covers a very small area geographically. So the, what's interesting is how she carries capital, how she so she carries authority, what uh, Bourdieu calls the social capital, how she's got, makes that kudos beyond that small space, which is really interesting. So she obviously talks about the lineage, which gives her some authority. She refers to her, her father, the great chief, which means she's got local kudos. But how does she make that carry on? And I think that's one of the things we, we really need to, to think about in terms of her very particular position is going to be appealing to a lot of people. It appeals to me tremendously. It appeals to people probably who like Greta, but it's certainly not going to appeal to other people. And that's one of the things we probably can pick up on later, yeah. that it doesn't need to appeal to everybody. We've, we're going to look at lots of different people over the next couple of weeks and how they appeal to different groups who can make a, a broad constituency, including Arno Schwarzenegger, who I think we're going to look at next week, who actually does something very, very similar to Jai Shurui but it's a very, very different character and appeals to his constituency in a different way. And one of the things that both of them use, I think, or, or certainly Cheshire very clearly does it, it's different types of knowledge. We tend yeah. to think of knowledge as a universal concept, but it's not. We've got scientific knowledge based on rational experiment and stuff like that, but also people's own experiential knowledge, things they know through experience. And we know that's hugely important in politics, whether it is, Treasury talking about the harm that she sees firsthand in the Amazon jungle. But also, we know that the Red Wall in the UK, we know the Rust Belt in the US, people are really 
start from their own personal experience of life before they're worried about generalizations and moving beyond the community to a larger time scale, a larger geographical scale. So it's negotiating the discourse across these scales to create a border constituency, which I find really interesting that this, this wonderful uh, speech brings us into. Yeah, I was thinking that she's, um, you know, what you hear here is, is a very personal st story, um, you know, particularly when she talks about a, a school friend uh, having been murdered. And, and, and for, for me, when you're talking about the time scales, you know, this, this, you were talking yesterday, yesterday about uh, various scales in a slightly different way, but this applies here where she's got this young age, 24, then it pans out to this 6,000 year or 6,000 year yeah. Yeah, history. So switching the scale, zooming in, zooming out, if you can think of it in those terms. Yeah, so I think it is very, very interesting that, you, we, that we have these, these, these different scales. Um, and, and it sort of also plays into myths. Did you want to say something about um, the, the use of myth in this? Okay, yeah, but this, this is a point you were making to me earlier that, again, with these different types of, these different scales and different types of authority, as well as your personal experience, different types of knowledge, we've got different ways. If we want to go back, you talked a lot about social actor theory and Van Leuven, but he also talks about four different ways of legitimizing your talk, making it carry weight, different types of authority. And we've seen that in Shari talking about her father, moral authority, where you tell people something's good or bad, rationalization as used by, by scientists. But then I think the one that you picked up on, Mike, was, Michael, was the mythopoiesis where people mm. make truths tell stories about consequences through, through, through myths. And you, you were talking about that. What were you saying earlier? What did you find of interest in, in Treasury's use of mythical language and the, the mythical status of nature or mythical to us at least? Yeah, well, it ties into what you're saying about different types of knowledge and different experiences of knowledge. Um, and and it, it, this kind of story it puts things um, in a different perspective, so you've got this. This you know, there's there's an almost timelessness about the you know, the quality of myth is that it that it's there's a timelessness to it, um, and and, a, and a, a sense of permanence, and that that's in, it's very interesting in this case because it's it's under threat. You know that that kind of another sense, another type of scale as well. Another type of scale, in, as well. yeah, indeed. So, um, and it, and it's a very very different kind of telling of the situation than you get in other places. Uh, in the speeches that we've looked at uh, previously, which uh, are also, um, I guess, abstract, but um, abstract in a way that that seems to to decontextualise the the, the the problem of climate crisis and climate change, whereas in this case the myth is also a more generalised um, sense of the, the, the telling of the, of the situation, but it remains grounded. It remains grounded in the. Um, the, the experience of, of the people uh, that live in places that are seeing destruction firsthand and, and the the, um, the murder that we've seen that she, she talks about of a school friend um, and that that leads yeah, that's into yeah. so we've got almost the two extremes we've got this the myth of nature if you like and this is a we use word we use in critical studies that sort of means a very powerful idea we don't think about whether it's necessarily true or false but it's mm. a powerful idea so this myth of the universal nature and the role of nature and at the other extreme her very personal lived experience mm. so two very different scales but yeah i suppose the scale that's not there that might appeal to other people is a connection with their lives or from the point of view of yes. politicians yeah. global politics yeah. or for the point of view of the person in the rust belt or the red wall 
it's got nothing to do with my life. Yeah. I don't see the world in the yeah. same way. My personal yeah. experience is different. So that's maybe a constituency she would not appeal to at yeah. all. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right on there. So, and as you were saying earlier, different people will, this is the importance of why we, we, we need to hear different people from different positions because different positions will appeal to, to different um, audiences. And one of the things that, you know, strikes here, we, we, we've, got, we've got this, um, movement from you know the 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 large scale things down to these very personal experiences and and for, for some it's uh, you know that that's really really crucial um i wanted to just mention the um the the again the the reference to social actors here because this will lead into our next text a lot of what um uh, this speaker the people that she refers to are we and you um, there's a there's a there is a division in the in the way that she's generally talking about people. We, yeah, yeah. the indigenous people, uh, peoples of the world, being the people of of, um, of the the Amazon, uh, and you. And what have you done? To still very generic terms, still very generic terms, but but setting up an opposition. Um, but but between people, you know. Yesterday we talked about uh, Boris Johnson setting up an opposition between humans and climate change, but, but and, and that struck us as being something a little bit, um, you know, perhaps not quite uh, useful enough to think about this yeah. as, as though as though climate change wasn't the effect of human activity. What we've got here Except is not the opposing team in football. Right? That's right, the opposing team yeah. in football. Um, what we've got here is is human beings being counterposed with each other in the we and you. And there is that very personal story of the talk about the, the friend who'd been murdered defending the rainforest, saying that this is now. So sometimes we in countries like the UK sort of still think about climate, the consequences of climate crisis coming up to us sometime in the future. I mean, despite the fact that we've got lots of floods happening, you know, every year more and more in the UK, we still tend yeah. to have this um, um, underlying um, view that this climate change is something yet to happen to us. Um, we saw quite clearly that there's something happening right now uh, with, with people literally being killed um, yeah. in, in, in this telling. And... Um, one of the things that I was really struck by is how, at very key moments, she doesn't she doesn't name the people that she's speaking about. You know, we have we've Absolutely, spoken about yeah. this is a theme that keeps coming back because we it is a feature of language. We do occasionally, well, very often, in fact, not specify the people that we're talking who's, of whose actions we're talking about. And one of the, one example, she talks about end the lies and false promise. You know, those are very human actions. Humans are the ones that can lie. Humans are the ones that can give false promise. But she doesn't say who those people are who are lying and giving false promise. Uh, she doesn't name them. They're left implicit, which I think is really, really interesting. Uh, as we go into our second text, which is um, a report of the president of Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro, um, reacting to the speech that we've just heard. So shall we just read that out? So we've got a, a report yeah, of you. Yeah, you got it, yeah. So I'll, I'll read the first part and then we might come to the second part in a second. So this is from um, Remo News and the headline, Bolsonaro criticises the Brazilian natives who spoke at the COP for having attacked 
Brazil. And the report begins, Brazil, President Jair Bolsonaro on Wednesday criticised indigenous activist Sai Suri, who spoke at the UN Climate Change Conference COP26 in Glasgow. Bolsonaro said that Suri went to the conference and, quote, to attack Brazil. And this and that this does not happen in other countries. Bolsonaro acknowledged that he was criticised for not participating in COP26 and compared Suri to leader Caiopo Rayoni Metacatire, one of Brazil's most recognised indigenous leaders abroad. In 2019, while attending the UN General Assembly, the president quoted Rayoni as saying that the indigenous, quote, are used as a ruse by foreign governments. And then the quote kind of continues, they complain that I didn't go to Glasgow. They brought an Indian there to replace Rayoni to attack Brazil. Has anyone seen Germans attack Germany? Has anyone ever seen anyone attack France? Because there is nothing like ours in environmental legislation. Nobody criticizes their country. Has anyone ever seen the American criticize the fires of the state of California? It's just here, said Bolsonaro in conversation with fans at the Palacio de... Alvarado. So that's the first part. We might get a chance to look at the second part of that report uh, later, but some really interesting stuff there. Um, shall I start on this, Tom, and, and comment on this? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, definitely, yeah. So, so, I think so it ties in with many of the things you were talking about the last couple of days. Yeah. Reference or non-reference and that sort of thing. It, yeah. Absolutely. And absences and, and who's, what's present, what's absence, absent. What are... What, what I, I mean, I think the first point uh, is you know, to, to make a sort of language point. I mean, this, this struck me as a, as a, a good example of intertextuality. So intertextuality is, is uh, the reference, the, the, the presence or the reference to other texts in, in, in your own text. So here Bolsonaro is referring to the speech of, of the activist and, and re-reporting it. So in, in a way, he's telling us what was in that speech. But what, but we, and we can do this. We can either quote directly, we can specify the text that we're referring to. But in, at least in this report, we don't get that. He, he's telling us um, that she attacked Brazil. And what he's doing there is not saying in her speech, this person and giving us a quote so that we could be quite specific about what she did and in what manner she attacked. What he's doing instead is reporting on her text with a generic speech, speech act. He's telling us that what her speech amounted to was an attack yeah. on Brazil. But with no details of how to justify that. With absolutely no detail. And what we what we were just saying is that she talks about lies and false promise. So what, hap- what's, what seems to be happening is here is he's seeing that uh, as applying to him, but he's not telling us that that's what he's talking. He doesn't want to repeat the accusation of, of lies and false promise to his audience of fans. Oh, that's um, lovely, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's, you made the point yesterday about... Uh, references to the members of the, who are there in the audience and you suggested that they know it's them even though it's never said but now yeah. Bolsonaro is responding to that but at the same time ignoring the message and just converting it into this attack yes yeah yeah I mean it's really fascinating how it, how this uh, has, has happened and, and yeah so there's a good example of of um uh, of intertextuality and then there's a really incredible one i mean I'm, I'm I don't know if I've really been aware of this kind of thing happening but he invokes these other non-existent texts. So what he says is that, um, have you, has anyone seen Germans attack Germany with the implication that, that, that they haven't? So he invokes a sort of, in this, it's a sort of negative intertextuality because he's talking about 
texts that don't for him. He imagines them not existing. He imagines that there are no texts or speeches or examples of language in which a German attacks Germany. Uh, but of course, that's not true. Uh, there are lots of Germans who attack German policy. Uh, it's part of, you know, the cultural landscape of, of Germany to to um, uh, debate and, and 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 talk about the things that they think that their government are doing wrong. And he says the same of France. I mean, imagine imagine um, anybody thinking that French people don't uh, criticize and attack their government. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, but he's, so there are texts which, in which you would be able to find such um, uh, you know, a citizen uh, engagement, democratic engagement with their government. But he's imagining, talking as though those texts don't exist. So there's, there's a really, really strange kind of negative intertextuality there. And he balances that as well with another negative intertextuality, I think, where he talks about, and none of them have got an environmental policy like Brazil. That's so right. again, he's he's creating, pointing out a, a false non-existence yeah. <laughs> yes. in, the, in the same way to create this idea that Brazil's got the most progressive environmental policy Amazing. on the planet, which yeah. is probably not true. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think what this all amounts to, you know, one of the things that, that, that's that struck me with reading this is that he's not engaging with what um, what's, what what she said. He, he's uh, not talking about the environment particularly. He's, dis he's completely distracting from this. He's making uh, an attack on her by saying that there's an attack on him, an attack on Brazil. So he's changing, he's picking up um, elements that we don't really see and, and reporting on those as though, as though they're the main event, they're the main story. And only very, very marginally mentions, you know, as you just said, these um, environmental laws or the fires in California, uh, which I didn't read out, but, but he also mentions fires in California. Um, so, so it's a, it, you know, it's a distraction. It's a distraction from the it's point a, that a she's. You often hear people say my words were taken out of context. And we know that people can take words out of context and make them appear different. He's gone way beyond that. He's just yeah. not even really yeah. reported the content of the speech at all. And he's just invented this version of the speech, which he knows is going to get all over yeah. the Brazilian media. But this isn't just taken out of context. It, it's inventing something entirely, almost yeah. entirely different from what yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. Um, did you want to say anything more about that? Um... Within that, I found it very interesting what he's doing. Well, the question is, why is he doing this? Mm. Apart from the fact that he feels aggrieved. Yeah. As you pointed out, Brazil was never, never attacked by naming that. And even listening to it the first time, I took this as a, a critique of world leaders, did, not yeah. specifically Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost yeah. like if the cap fit, where's it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, about Bolsonaro, then that, that's up to you. You sort of dropped yourself in it by thinking it referred to you. Yeah. But I think one of the things he's doing a really interesting thing here. And again, we talk about who are you talking to? The fact that we can see that he's talking a load of nonsense and that he's referring to texts that don't exist is irrelevant to him. He's talking to his constituency yeah. in Brazil, enough people to keep him in power. He's under severe threat at the moment. He wants to bolster up his constituency. We've seen this in other countries where someone is in danger of losing the presidency and they stoke up these myths and imaginaries. And what he's really doing, and actually quite similar to Trump, is he's creating this idea of uh, people who are under fire, mm. that everyone's against them. Yeah. Yeah. creating this real solidarity. Apparently Alex Ferguson used to do it with Man United, even when we were winning the league all the time, we're the richest and the most powerful team in the world. But Alex Ferguson managed to create this idea that everyone was against them and to get this solidarity. I think Bolsonaro is doing something very similar here. Um, we can talk about 
the way you create a group, there are two, mm. there are two, two mm. principal ways you do it. One is by showing what you have in common and you create affiliation that way and say, we're all the same this way. But the other is what, what's called in sociology and discourse analysis, a logic of differences, where, uh, sorry, the logic of equivalence, where what you're saying is you're defining yourselves as being different from other people. What unites us is we're not this other group. And you see, he takes two ways of doing this. The first one is he refers, and, and I've checked the, the, the original uh, original version, he refers to Chaisri as an Indian mm. on India. Uh, that's really not very 21st century. You know, the indigenous population of Brazil, he's discounting here as well. So it's like the enemy within. Mm. And we've seen that they're attacking Brazil because they're not real Brazilians. And there's, this is a very, very old debate. Talking of intertextuality, mm. what counts pure, who are pure Brazilians are, the people who've been there longest or who? So he's really dismissing uh, as an India, an Indian. At the same time, he's then also dismissing people who aren't Brazilian at all in terms of the French, the Germans. Mm-hmm. The, the Brazil's being attacked. It's been held up to standards that other countries aren't. This is very similar to the Australian Prime Minister recently talking about doing it the Australian way. Mm. So what he's doing is saying, what unites us or what unites my constituency, and it says it was addressed to his fans, is who we're not. And we're not these indigenous enemies within, and we're not these non-Brazilian enemies without. So Brazilians are defined as people are not those two groups. And that enables him to create, a ne- again, we've had negative intertextuality. Now we've got this negative definition of what makes a Brazilian, not what unites them, but what divides them from other people. So I think that's really strong. And notice this, this reference to the previous Indigenous leader, the intertextuality you mentioned, mm. where he gets a quote from him, who, him, who himself said the Indigenous people had been a ruse for foreign policies. Mm-hmm. So he's using one Indigenous leader to yeah. suggest that this other Indigenous leader or daughter yeah. of an Indigenous leader yeah. is being set up by foreign powers to undermine yeah. Brazil. So he's managing to link the Indigenous population yeah. and the foreign powers together yeah as the common enemy, as the people who, against whom he defines Brazilians as, as the European descent Europeans that are the majority of his constituencies. So he's doing a lot of work there that's got nothing to do with the environment. Mm -hmm. It's all to do with his political power. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating and and, and, um, depressing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Depressing, not least because it works, which takes us back to, you know, our job as discourse analysts isn't to say whether something's a good discourse or a right discourse or an honest discourse. It's to look at it, see what it's doing and try and work out why it, why it works, how it gets transmitted mm. or fails. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that time. It's that time of day again yep. for the last time this week. The end of week, our yeah. first week yeah. of podcast, Michael. Yes. Uh, so we're on soundbite of the day. So uh, I've picked a tweet from Greta Thunberg. She said in her tweet, COP26 has been named the most excluding COP ever. This is no longer a climate conference. This is a global North Greenwash Festival, a two week celebration of business as usual and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I wanted to pick up that, you know, on the theme of intertextuality, she's, she's referring to her own text. She's previously accused um, um, th- these kind of conferences and events as, as, as being a blah, blah, blah. And indeed, when we started, you know, when we put our podcast on on the uh we started talking about this on twitter some some of your colleagues referred to, to referred to this quote of blah 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 that we're, we're we're talking about the, the blah 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 so lots of intertextuality around this blah 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 um and, and interesting because is people pick up on the, the use of language and see the language 
that people use as being ineffective. And this is what we, you know, this is how we introduce this podcast, isn't it? What's if, what's what's what what language leads you know, prefigures action because that's what, what it makes can a commitment do. a real commitment. What makes it a real commitment, indeed? And what 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 language um, delays action or covers up inaction? Yeah, uh, you know, and what she's accusing people there of doing is, you know, it is using language to cover up and disguise their their lack of action and lack of ambition uh, in in terms of genuine tackling of climate change but yeah, yeah. But, but doing something you know doing something else they they taking advantage of 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 the, of the situation to, to perhaps gain advantage in other ways um so yeah really interesting yeah, so it comes back to what makes the cop a success or a failure in the way it was presented to different people it also fits in with a nice little line that Chai came in with where she talks about the lies and fake promises. Yes. We all know about fake news and all that, but a commitment, it's not a commitment if you never mean to do it, it's a fake promise. But really interesting, she calls that the pollution of the modern world. She actually makes these fake mm. promises and lies in this bad discourse. That's the pollution. Yeah. Because we've got the chance to get rid of pollution and we don't. So this is this bad discourse is pollution. Yeah. And we've got to find uh, you know, an environmentally friendly discourse instead. Yeah, the genuine one. I think that's a really, really, really powerful linking of of two two domains. There, really, really good. The domain of environmental pollution and discursive pollution. What a great equivalent! I'm sure we'll return to it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What was that last? Sorry, what was that last thing, Michael? Uh, drawing a, a really interesting equivalence there. Going back to what you were saying about All right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and we will we will return to it. So. Um, yeah, that's it for this week. We'll be back Monday. I'm looking at Tom. He's nodding. <laughs> yeah. I was not. That was an invented text that he said I was nodding. But I am now. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Okay. Bye now.